0: conductive wire and you were so electric i had no say when you came so near and just right through me hey everyone welcome to geekdom is back i am joined by tim hardy who has not been on the podcast in quite some time we were just trying to figure it out and it's been you know almost 200 episodes tim so how are you doing i'm doing good how are you doing Keeping busy. Lots of podcasts all the time. Nice. But today we're here to talk about The Amazing Spider Man 2. And Tim, I know this is one we have wanted to plan for quite some time now. And I finally went back and rewatched both movies because I have this thing where I cannot do the second movie without doing the first movie. (laughs) I think it was an interesting experience going back and watching both of these movies and now getting to talk about them because. I think there are pros and cons for each Spider-Man series that we've had, especially for live action. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, I've said this on this podcast before, is probably my favorite Spider-Man adaptation overall, but Andrew Garfield's version of the character seems to not really be in the conversation quite as much as Tobey Maguire and Tom Holland. Would you agree with that?
1: I would, yeah, for sure. I mean, it depends on what corner of the internet you're on like i know on the chorus forums uh we post on like there's a bunch of us who like talking about him and if you go into certain corners of spider-man twitter which i don't recommend (laughs) spider-man twitter is very toxic but you'll find some andrew garfield love there but overall like the Original trilogy gets a lot of love because of nostalgia and being some of the first like good Marvel movies. And then the new ones get a lot of love because, hey, it's the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And we all know a lot of people really like that. But this has sort of become like the like redheaded stepchild in between, I guess.
0: Right. And these movies feel... Darker than both of the other two series. I know Sam Raimi's trilogy has its moments because of his background in horror and things like that. There are definitely some dark moments in those movies, but for the overall tone, at least the first one, The Amazing Spider Man, was like, we're going to go really dark. And then they kind of tried to fix that with this one, it felt like. But I do want to dive into the cast because we have a lot of new people who weren't in the first movie. You have Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone returning as Peter Parker and Gwen Stacy, respectively. You also have Sally Field returning as Aunt May. But then you have a slew of new people with Dane DeHaan as Harry Osborn, Jamie Foxx as Max Dillon, Colm Fior as Donald Mencken, Felicity Jones as Felicia Hardy, Paul Giamatti as Alexei Stasevich. I'm probably butchering some of these character names. I'm sorry. The
1: rhino. He's the Rhino.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Rhino. Campbell Scott returns as Richard Parker and BJ Novak as Alistair Smythe. Yeah. And, you know, BJ Novak, I just put in here because he's a familiar name. He doesn't play a huge role in this movie. But we're obviously familiar with the character with Alistair. And I think one of the things that stood out to me with this movie first was just how packed or stacked, if you will, the cast is?
1: Yeah, there's, there's a lot of, like, people in here, for sure. Like, a lot of uh, characters, a lot of uh, villains, which I know you're going to want to get to in a minute. Um, a lot of supporting characters and Easter egg characters. Uh, like, you say Fel- Felicity Jones was Felicia Hardy, but they never really say her last name. It's kind of, like, intentionally kept vague. I mean, we all know she would have become Black Cats if Black Cat if there had been enough movies, but yeah, there's like a lot of people in there and there almost was more like, I don't know if you remember this or saw it in your prep, but like Shailene Woodley almost had a cameo for like one scene as Mary Jane. Like there's a lot going on here.
0: Yeah. And with how much is going on, it's one of those things where as soon as you see the IMDB page for this, you're kind of like, uh-oh, what are they going to try to do here? And it's obvious that some of these characters were plants, basically, for a potential third movie because I can't imagine you would have characters like Felicia Hardy and Alistair Smythe and just not use them at some point. And I think it's pretty common knowledge that there was supposed to be a third movie, right? Yeah, um,
1: from what I recall before this one came out like in the lead up to this movie before they knew how it would turn out they actually had announced an amazing spider-man 3 and amazing spider-man 4 okay like they had like they had announced in two years it's going to be the one two years the other and then i think at one point i don't remember if it's before this movie or afterwards was when they started talking about those other spin-offs too like sinister six like sinister six was going to then be a separate thing from those two so yeah they were they were gearing up for a ton
0: i'm curious if they saw the success of the mcu and they were like ah crap maybe we got to get in on this
1: (laughs) i feel like almost certainly that's that's what happened um especially because so this came out in 2014 and then the year before this 2013 is when the Wolverine came out, I believe, um, which is that Wolverine in Japan movie. Yeah, and I and I know like James Mangold later on said that a lot of the weird stuff in the third act with like the big CGI like Silver Samurai dude was because the studio at Fox was forcing him to make it feel more like a Marvel movie. So yeah, I I feel like this was right at the peak of. And then like after this was when they were leading up to Batman v Superman. So this is when it was really like in the air and in the water. Like we got to all chase the Avengers and do our own Avengers like extended universe because that's what everybody's all about right now.
0: Yeah, it really feels like a lot of the companies tried to emulate what Marvel was doing and it just didn't. Pan out for most of them. But to dive into the story for this, because I think there is quite a bit to discuss. And even though I didn't particularly enjoy this as much as I wanted to, I think I definitely like the first one a little more, not too terribly much, but. You have the summary from IMDb here, which says when New York is put under siege by Oscorp, it is up to Spider-Man to save the city he swore to protect as well as his loved ones. And we've seen in the first movie how things go wrong for Peter. All the dads are dead. And, <laughs> you know, they, they really like killing off father figures in these movies, especially Spider-Man movies. But you really feel a shift when this movie opens, like they got the feedback that they went a little too dark. And with the way that The Amazing Spider-Man ends, we know him and Gwen are going to be back together. So they kind of skip over a lot of that. And they still have their problems as a couple, you know, but I do think that it was a totally different tone in comparison to the first movie and he was like a lot more talkative while he was fighting against these villains than it felt like he was in the first movie
1: yeah i mean i would argue he's still pretty talkative in the first one like i would say that they in the first amazing spider-man get like the spidey banter like him talking a lot pretty good compared to like the raimi movies where for all their strengths he's not as bantery But then this one, they definitely go for that lighter tone. I feel like in talking about this, a lot of stuff that didn't even come to mind in, like, prep for this episode is coming back from, like, the dark, like, web-covered corners of my brain. (laughs) But I feel like I remember them bringing in, like, a few comedians, like a a couple, like, late-night comedians and other, like, comedy writers in like, late in the process to write, like, some new jokes to throw in. So, but, yeah. Yeah, they were definitely, like, playing up, like, a lot of, like, the jokes and gags and kind of shooting a little more for kids, I would say.
0: Yeah, because in the first movie, he's so angry.
1: Yeah. The first one is, like, pretty dark. I mean, it's visually dark, but it's also kind of angry. It feels like it has a lot... I feel like the first one was flavored a lot by... The Dark Knight, because you got to figure it came out the same year as Avengers, so it wasn't affected by that yet. So the first one was Chasing the Dark Knight, and then this one's Chasing the Avengers, so I think that's why it's so light and like fluffy and whatnot. Again, except when it's not, except when it gets randomly like really dark. I mean, spoilers like his lover dies, so it gets, it gets dark, which I guess happens in kids' movies too, but yeah, a lot of it's a lot more like. His costume, um, which I guess I was going to mention this later, but I'll mention it now. It's my favorite, like live-action Spider-Man costume. But the costume is very bright, big eyes, like '90s Mark Bagley Spider-Man. Like it's very comic booky and Saturday morning and comic booky fun.
0: Yeah, was Ultimate Spider-Man like late '90s, early 2000s? Yeah, so Ultimate Spider-Man
1: started in like 2000. Um, And it's definitely like that Mark Bagley too. But I almost think of more because I grew up in the 90s. So before Ultimate Spider-Man, Bagley drew some amazing Spider-Man. And it reminds me a lot of that as well. A little bit of both. I mean, he was drawing a younger Spider-Man and Ultimate Spider-Man. But Bagley has a specific way he draws like the mask, which I like a whole lot.
0: Yeah, and I can definitely see those similarities now that I take a look at some of Bagley's artwork and for me in the first one the suit was it definitely felt darker like it didn't pop off of the screen quite as much and the texture to it just seemed a little off but I think they tweaked some things for this one that did make it look quite a bit better.
1: Mm -hmm. Definitely like I feel like the the first one they just like they just really wanted to make it different like their mission statement was to be different Mm -hmm. and i do like it for what it is like it's a cool variant but i feel like they heard a lot of like response of like why are there these weird little details why is it dark and blah blah blah. so i think they like skewed to the other end to make it more comic book accurate but in a way that i really appreciated personally but yeah for sure
0: Yeah. And one of the things I wanted to talk about that you briefly mentioned earlier was the number of villains. And this kind of applies to the script being a little muddy and overcrowded and things like that, too. So we can talk about both of these things here at the same time. But you start off with him going after Rhino and these other criminals that are with Rhino before he's actually Rhino. And then you have... Norman appearing briefly. And even though he's not really a villain villain in this, you can tell that it's going to lead into Harry becoming the big villain. But before that, you have Max Dillon turning into Electro, which I thought was a little strange. I was like, he got bit by eels after being electrocuted. And I'm sure, you know, it's comics accurate and everything but i guess i just didn't know his origin so it kind of took me by surprise
1: i I honestly forget it how comics accurate it is but it because it's been a while since i read the old like 60s like steve dicko comics but yeah it's just real like goofy like his origin there um but to jump to what you were saying about the villains though like with all the villains um so like you're talking about there being like a lot of villains here and that connected to the story Um, that I hear a lot of people talk about this movie having too many villains. And I do have like, in my opinion, like I think that like I have a lot of story issues. Like I think it's like a, like a mass and overly cluttered, but I often push back on the idea of it as having too many villains. And here's why. How many villains are there, like main villains are there in this movie? Amazing Spider-Man 2.
0: Technically two.
1: Yeah. I mean, if I'll I'll be generous and say you can count Rhino. Okay. If you count Rhino because he's iconic, like, and he is in a costume at the end, there's three. So how many villains by those same rules are in The Dark
0: Knight? I honestly have no idea. I haven't seen the movie in so long. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, I, I'll tell you, there's three. You have like, The main... Like, both movies have, like, the main villain. Like, you have Electro, you have Joker. Then you both of them, you have, like, the villain who turns at the end. Like, Two-Face and, like, Green Goblin. And then both of them have, like, another, like, side one. Rhino. And you might forget, but, like, Scarecrow is in the beginning of Dark Knight a little bit. So, I... Because, like, I think a lot of these movies, like, people have been so like traumatized by this movie, which I like more than a lot of other people. We'll get to that in a bit. But it is like story wise, it's messy.
0: Right. And I think that's what makes me think there's too many villains. For the story they were trying to tell, it feels like they needed to slim things down.
1: For sure. Um, which that's the same thing that happened with Spider Man three. Like there were three villains and it was a cluttered story. But if you had a good, like tight story, like it how many villains you have doesn't really matter. Like, you can have like six of them, hypothetically, for Spider Man, like a whole Sinister Six, and none of them be introduced in advance, and it can work. The problem for me, I think, is that there's a lot of like story going on. It's being pulled in a bunch of directions. But I think if you had tightened it up, nobody would care that there were three villains. But because the story is so stuffed and messy, then, like, it's easy to pin it on. Oh, we just needed to remove a villain. But if you remove Rhino, like, nothing changes. Like, you still have the same, like, cluttered movie.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think maybe they could have spent that time that they used on him going up against Rhino twice. And I know at the end we don't really get a full fight or anything, but instead, if they would have put that time towards maybe building up his relationship with Harry a little more, because I felt like there was a lot there between the characters, but we just don't really see any of it.
1: Yeah, there's, there's a lot that needs to be there and isn't between them, which, like, I own this movie on Blu-ray. And, Same. And you can, like, go through, like, deleted scenes. This is this movie has like I don't know if you uh, did you happen to get time to watch the deleted scenes or think to do so?
0: Yeah, I did. I I think I counted. It was like twenty three minutes, and obviously you have some overlap because it's just like stuff that was extra in a scene that they took out. So you rewatch part of the scene, but there was some good stuff in there, and I was really. Bummed, they left a couple of scenes out.
1: But yeah, it's twenty something, like you said. Like I always remember that. Like it approaches a half hour of deleted stuff. And that's probably not even everything. Like the deleted scenes on the Blu-ray don't include Mary Jane, who, like I said, was like filmed, but then they cut it. Mm-hmm. And who knows how much like other stuff. Um so like there's this huge like like movie and then they cut stuff out, but then they cut they cut out is like weird and they still have a lot but like if you were to cut out a bunch of the plot like we don't need we don't need that like opening scene flashback to peter's parents like we we don't need that that adds nothing like the best opening shot is that great shot of the spider on the back of spider-man's costume as he comes down and the great music playing. like that's a great way to start off so we don't need that other thing um, you don't need a bunch of the Electro backstory. I'm biased because I don't like the way they characterized Electro, but take out a bunch of that backstory. Let him be like a generic villain who's there just to be the threat as you work up to Harry. Like cut out, cut out the subplot of like Aunt May working to be a nurse. Like you don't need any of that stuff. Cut that stuff out and then add back a bunch of those scenes, like character scenes that were cut out with Peter and Gwen and Harry, like put those in and let those three characters be the core.
0: Yeah. And they even cut out a really good scene with Aunt May where, you know, Peter's arriving home and she's like, you missed her. And it's this whole thing about her telling him to go after Gwen because he loves her. And I thought that was such a good moment between him and Aunt May that that would have been much better to have in there than, you know, her running around the hospital.
1: Right, for sure. But but no, like, why would you have that when you could cut that out and just have him answer the phone and it's Gwen? It's, it's so weird what they chose to cut and yeah. not cut. Don't get it. There's another, it's such a small moment. It takes probably like five to 10 seconds where, like, you see Peter coming into Oscorp for some reason and like there's like this tracking shot and then you see Gwen walking into work so they're both in the same place but they don't see each other and it's such a simple short scene that adds to the theme of these characters just can't connect throughout the movie like it's such a small moment took takes so little of the running time And it adds so much, and they just took that little moment out. Um, Or, like, the conversation between Peter and Harry, where you see, like, what becomes, like, the goblin costume. Yeah, it's weird.
0: I also have to say that I did not enjoy any of the character designs for the villains. Yeah, they're not great. I didn't like the lizard design either from the first movie. So I, I think it's just a personal preference on a lot of these. But it honestly looked like they were trying to make Harry almost look like a zombie playing the Green Goblin.
1: They've struggled all along with how to do a live action Green Goblin. Like in the old Raimi movies, they were gonna have a more like classic costume and they didn't like how it looked so they made him look like a weird dumb power ranger and then in this the way they decided to do it was like okay he'll just have like a suit of armor and then his face but we'll give him some weird disease where he looks all like deformed i think they just didn't know what to do like with that character design honestly i don't like hate it like like i'm pretty okay like i get why people don't like it. it's gross but I don't mind the goblin design. I think it's I think it's okay, but the Electro one looks pretty bad.
0: Yeah, when I saw that happening, I was like, okay, this looks really, really strange. And there were some CGI choices in this movie too, that I didn't particularly care for. And I talked about this last episode as well, but I just got the Miles Morales game. And watching this after playing a little bit of that game, a lot of this looks like video game moments, especially when Spider-Man is swinging through the city, which isn't necessarily bad. But when you look at the deleted scenes, there are some unfinished scenes in there and you see the CGI renderings and it's almost like they're using CGI on way more than they need to.
1: Yeah. Oh, I think that's a common problem with, like, all of these movies, but, like, like in this whole, like, genre, like, that's where they skew these days, but they definitely leaned a lot into this one, like, I think, I don't feel like looking it up to check, but I feel like I remember when this came out seeing that, like, the budget for this was, like, more than the production budget for the first Avengers, like, it was, like, weird, Something like that. So yeah, like there's a lot in there and the effects are like kind of like wonky at times. Um, I will say I I overall like these this movie visually more than like the new ones and that's a whole other topic and that's my hot take people are going to disagree with but I feel like there's a lot more personality to it versus like the generic sleek marvel stuff of like the new ones like with tom holland where like when the new ones get into action i just get bored versus this is more stylish but the drawback is because there's so much of it there's bits that just look real kind of like like spider-man and electro in the third act in the Power plant, or whatever the heck that was. That looks weird.
0: Right. And then you have that whole scene, and then you have Green Goblin swooping in, and there's just so much going on in that third act. But to answer your budget question, Amazing Spider Man 2 was somewhere between 200 and 293 million, which is not very specific at all. Those are like drastically different (laughs) numbers. But the Avengers, like you said, it's in that same range. Avengers is put at 220 million. So it's either just under a little above or right about the same range there. And I think a lot of it has to do with the CGI during the fights and while he's swinging around because some of the movements looked very quick and like it wasn't flowing right or something. I don't know if it was just me or what but i was like okay that just looked a little too weird
1: (laughs) and in in the in like that final battle with electro or you mean throughout
0: just throughout there were some moments where he would like swing and land on top of something and it's not that it looked jerky it just looked unnatural for spider-man like it wasn't super smooth or kind of realistic for spider-man i guess I could see
1: that. um I think outside of like when it gets really big and crazy, like I mentioned earlier in the like third act, I think other than that, I'm mostly like pretty happy like with how he moves. like it's kind of like weird, but I think it like works and it's like striking, like I like it, but i can I can see how you would feel like that way about it. It probably depends on the scene too, like some look strong and others they were probably rushing to finish
0: right sometimes it was just a distraction i was like that was odd (laughs) and then it's just like okay on to the next thing
1: right which to be fair like that's a thing with a lot of these like as much as people love like like marvel movies like the amount of shots you can find in the quote-unquote good uh, like marvel movies where like there's like a digital iron suit and then an actor's head is sticking out when the helmet comes off and it just looks real bad like real bad compositing like that's something that happens with all of these for sure um yeah, i don't know like i guess it, i guess it just depends on what they were going for and how careful like they are with with that which is one another thing i i guess i can keep finding excuses to sneak in complaints about marvel studios uh, Spider-Man, but that's one reason why I don't like that his normal costume in those ones is like digital. Because this one overall like overdoes the digital effects more, but at least when he's in a costume, he's in a costume. There's no digital texture on it.
0: Right. And I do think, like I said earlier, they improved on the suit in this one. I'm wondering if it's just because there was seemingly a lot more action in this one that, like you said, maybe at times they were rushing to finish it because you have more villains, more battles with said villains. And a lot of the first movie was Peter looking for the person who killed Uncle Ben. So he wasn't really swinging around quite as much.
1: Yeah, that's probably part of it. Also, you look at the villains. I mean, um, like the main villain is Electro. Like he's, He's basically fighting, like, Dr. Manhattan, so...
0: Yeah, that is what it looked like.
1: Which, they didn't have to go that approach. Like, sometimes in certain comic and cartoon universes, Electro looks like that, but traditionally, he's a dude with a Steve Ditko-designed green and yellow costume that looks ridiculous in the best comic booky way possible. So they could have done a version of that. Like, I don't think any studio is gutsy enough to put a character in live action on the screen looking like that but like you could you could find something halfway to that and have done it which i wonder if that's what's going to happen in the next like spider-man movie allegedly comes out this year covid permitting i wonder if they'll go more that direction versus like spider-man's foe dr manhattan in his weird Power Ranger costume or whatever.
0: Yeah, that will definitely be interesting to see because from the news cycle anyway, we know they're going to incorporate a lot of people we're familiar with in this upcoming Spider-Man movie. But with this one, I do want to say a, a few things that I liked about it. I think Gwen and Peter's chemistry continued to be good and obviously the two of them being in an actual relationship probably helps,
1: Oh yeah, like, like, it was chemistry so good that after, that during or after the first one they started dating, um, of course then, when this movie didn't do well, they not, they eventually in the years afterwards like broke up, um, which, I mean, who knows, maybe if they'd kept making movies, they would have broken up anyways, it would have been awkward, but regardless, this movie was made in that sweet spot in the peak of them having that perfect chemistry and it's so good like definitely one of the biggest reasons I come back to this movie a lot in spite of its flaws it's just their performances individually and as a duo
0: right I also think that using Oscorp as this sort of place where all of these things originate is something that I find interesting with the story and I almost wish they would have leaned into that a little more, too, because you even have Donald Menkin who appears in the comics. And, you know, the hostile takeover is part of that story. But I really felt like there should have been like, more of a focus that all of these things kept leading back to Oscorp. And it that storyline just kind of went nowhere. But I do like that potential there. Because then who knows, we could have seen more of that in the third and fourth movie.
1: well the story kind of goes nowhere because they were planning on it going in the third and fourth movie i guess that's sort of the downside of that like they're gonna build it so slowly but yeah it was interesting like the way they leaned so much into oscorp um which makes me wonder like how long before like these movies are willing to bring oscorp back because there was so much a part of these movies but yeah, I, th- I thought that, like, worked pretty well, having that be, like, a good, like, through line. Um, especially with this one there being that sort of, like, conspiracy side. Like, some of the deeper stuff with, like, Peter's dad and the stuff behind the spider and all that was a bit too much. Like, I was like, that just kind of annoying. And I would have cut, like like, half of that at least. If I were like re-editing the movie, but I do think having a conspiracy there, like hold like bringing those characters together because that is the connecting point of Peter and Harry and Gwen because she works there. like I think that works as the center point really well,
0: yeah, and I think the first movie did a much better job of telling a full story and ending it in a way that that storyline was complete but this it felt like they left more things open and i think when you are going to try to make multiple movies you should still have a contained story within each movie even though you have things leading into the next one if that makes sense
1: oh yeah i believe that firmly like i harp on that a lot when i talk about like comic book movies i think that's very important um having each movie be its own story something that you were saying earlier that kind of like with like peter and gwen's like relationship like on the note of that flow of a movie i feel like the first movie like one of the issues with it was at the end i think you were mentioning this earlier they like clean up the peter gwen thing too quickly it's like oh no like we're together
0: Right. And they kind of just gloss over that at the beginning of this movie. You just jump right into the action and they are graduating. And then you're like, okay, so we're not even going to really get a lot of that. And then they finally bring it to where Peter is struggling with breaking his promise to Captain Stacy. And that also just kind of goes nowhere because it's like he kept seeing Captain Stacy when they were together, and then that just stops the next time they're together again.
1: It's, it's so weird. And it's so weird that they went through all that effort to put them back together at the end of the last movie. And then this movie, one of the first things they do is break them back up again.
0: Yeah, it was very disjointed. <laughs>
1: well, imagine if like, they hadn't had that little tag. I mean, I guess they didn't want to retread the first spider-man movie too much where it ends with peter and mj like peter walking away from mj but if they would committed imagine that one ends with her coming to him about him not like going to the funeral and like like that's where they leave it off and then the next time you see them together maybe like they see each other a little bit like at the graduation but they're not what they are even though they're really cute together so i would hate to lose that but imagine we lose that and it's just the next time they're together is that amazing scene before the first electro attack or scenes i should say where they're like reconnecting and walking around the park like that stuff is so good and imagine if that was the first time they were together since like the first movie
0: Yeah, I think that would have had a better impact on their story. And also, it would have given them more space to kind of fill in some of those plot holes (laughs) that we've mentioned here, because they could have used that time for something else. Because we didn't really need the stuff with them at graduation. We didn't really need the whole scene at the restaurant and all of that stuff. But I do like their scenes together. So it's kind of hard for me to be upset that they were there. But Tim... I don't know if I have too much else to say about this movie. Is there anything else you want to bring up?
1: Yeah, I have have a lot of other things I like about it. I mean, I was complaining a lot because it's easy to do and because you didn't like it and there's a lot to harp on. But there's so much good in this hot mess of a movie, in my opinion. So we already touched on like the costume. One thing I think does not get appreciated enough is like the score, like the music in this movie. Like, I, I think the music in this movie, outside of um, Into the Spider Verse, like, if you take that out of the equation, I think this is the Spider Man movie with, like, the best music and score, which was a collaboration between, uh, who was it? It was Hans Zimmer and Pharrell Williams and Johnny Marr from The Smiths and Junkie XL, who works with, like, J- Zack Snyder a lot.
0: Yeah. Were they called, like, the M- Magnificent Six or something?
1: Something like that. Yeah, some pun, or some, not pun, but some play off of, like, the Sinister Six. But, yeah, they're, they they had, like, a whole name, like, Hans Zimmer and the Magnificent yeah. Six. And it all, like, it works so well. Like, you have all their, like, the Junkie XL influence, the Pharrell Williams influence, like, the Hans Zimmer, like, core to it. And it's all, like, so good. I mean, the only thing I don't like is, I think, the voices of Electra that they threw in which I don't know if that was originally in the score or if it got tacked on in the filmmaking, like in the editing. But I think if you listen to the soundtrack, like the score, those electro voices are in there. I don't personally like that flourish. Like, I think that's a bad choice. But other than that, I think the music, like the main Spider-Man theme, a lot of the quiet, emotional, like, music, like the adventure, I think it sounds so good and doesn't get enough, like, credit.
0: Yeah. And Hans Zimmer is amazing. So it's no surprise that something he did was really good, especially with those collaborators. And I wasn't really paying a lot of attention to the score, but I did notice when those themes would pop in. And you also have the fact that they're playing it on Peter's phone too, at times.
1: Oh, sure. Sure. I think the music works better than like in a lot of Marvel movies. Um, People have famously for years talked about the Marvel Studios films being really hit or miss with their scores. Like the main Avenger theme is good. Thor Ragnarok has like a good score. Black Panther sounds pretty good, but like a lot of it, you don't have a lot of memorable themes. I think this one has a lot of good stuff. Um, and to and to what you're saying about Hans Zimmer, like like he also did the score for Dark Phoenix, which is another like, messy comic book film that I like more than most people. Um, so maybe that'll be a did, did you already have an episode about that one when it came out?
0: I did, because I was convinced to watch that. I still haven't watched Apocalypse, though. So I was like, do I need to watch that one in order to watch Dark Phoenix? But yeah, I think there are times when the score stands out and maybe a lot of other elements of the movie don't.
1: But yeah, like that Zimmer score in Dark Phoenix and in here is, like, really good. And then another thing I really like in this movie is, like, a lot of the physical comedy is really good in it, I think. Like, there's just a lot of good gags. Like, one of my favorite scenes in this movie, which is one of my favorite Peter scenes in any movie, is when he's helping Gwen escape, like, in Oscorp. And he's in plain clothes, but he has his web shooters, like, hidden. But he's just tripping people and doing The coffee. Yeah, and then, and then at the end, he, like, jumps, and like, clicks his heels. It's all very, like, Buster Keaton silent film, which I think they quoted Buster Keaton or another actor from, like, the old, like, black-and-white silent film era. Like, they were looking to do that kind of, like, physical comedy. And I think a lot of that works really well. Or some of the prop gags of, like, Spider-Man, like, with the firefighter hat um, or... Him, like with the normal clothes, with the Spider-Man mask, um, like with the cold, like I think all that stuff works really well, and which you can see a lot of that in Into the Spider-Verse too. Like that's the only other time I can think of where that really got played up a whole lot, and I think all that stuff's just like real good, like the fun physical gags like that, and him shooting webs while in plain clothes to do that, like I think that's fun stuff.
0: Yeah, there's obviously a big moment we haven't talked about just yet, which will lead into at least my recommendation, and that is Gwen Stacy's death, which as a story beat felt a little too predictable, but as an emotional beat for Peter, I think worked really well.
1: Yeah, I think the best version of this movie would have that. I think the best version of this franchise, if it had kept going, wouldn't have had that yet. Like, I think if I were, like, if I had been tasked with, like, brainstorming in a writer's room, like, the second movie in the series after the first one, I would have had the second one introduce Mary Jane, um, introduce Harry Osborn without him turning evil yet, but keeping Flash Thompson in it, who they wrote out, and, like, really flesh out, like, that crew as a friend group. Yeah. And then in the third one, kill her. But... I do think if you view this movie in a vacuum, I think the themes of it all, like trying to hold everything together and then it all like breaks apart and falls apart. And then the actual execution of the scene where she falls. I mean, the web turning into a hand is a little corny, but I don't mind a little corny. But I I do think it works for this story. It's just a weird choice for them to have done it at this point.
0: Yeah, it felt like something that was a little rushed within the story. And then I also felt the same way about Harry, because it's like, he's back because his father's dying. And then he is suddenly dying, too. And I'm just like, "Oh, okay, all right, we'll just go with that. And, you know, Tim, like I said, I think this movie had a lot of potential, but it just wasn't one of my favorites. And I think... That's kind of how a lot of people feel about it. I think I ended up giving this like a two out of five, which not the worst thing I've seen, but also not fantastic.
1: Yeah, it's, it's not amazing or spectacular. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that's what a lot of people would give it. And I think that's probably fair. Um, I mean, I will subjectively never be able to give it lower than like a three and a half out of five just because I like love so much about it and also have a lot of like sentimentality like tied to it. But like I think like the good of it works so well and I still maintain like even with what we have, I think a good editor could have come in like, I don't know if you're familiar with the stories of how the first Star Wars movie was like really bad before they released it. But then an editor, like some editors came in and cleaned it up to the version that came out in 77 but I think if there were similar editors who had come into this movie, I don't think we would have gotten Star Wars, but I think we had a much stronger movie. People would have like accepted more if someone had like come in aggressively and like cleaned it up. Um, and hey, who knows? Maybe with this whole like Snyder cut of Justice League that, as we're recording, is about to come out um, in a couple of days. Like, maybe with all this, we can start a campaign uh, for release the web cut of Amazing Spider-Man 2, (laughs) Um, a four-hour cut of this movie, which will be a hot mess. But, you know, I will happily be an obnoxious person on Twitter to get a longer version of this movie.
0: I don't know how many director's cuts I will be able to take, but if someone wants to do that, great. But Tim, let's dive into some recommendations. I mentioned Gwen Stacy's death kind of leads perfectly into mine. And I'm going to recommend that people check out Amazing Spider-Man number 121 and 122, which covers that original story. So it's a two issue kind of thing. I think you can probably just jump in and get a feel for what this movie was pulling from as far as the source material goes. Yeah, I
1: mean, those old comics from that era. Like that's from like, early 70s like in that era they still made every comic as if it would be your first one because a lot of kids would just find one on a spinner rack so if someone has like marvel unlimited they could definitely just look up those two issues yeah Um, there is like a there's a couple trades with it too like collections um can't see from here on my bookshelf, but one of the epic collections right. like has this like collected in it. If you want more context, but yeah, you could just read the two issues and be fine for sure. Good stuff. I love like this era. Like this is like Jerry Conway that you're recommending. Like I love this era of Spider-Man.
0: Yeah, I haven't been able to dive too deep into it. I think you know this, and some of the listeners might know this, but a while back I was the editor for a Spider-Man website, so I had started from. Issue one, technically, I started from Amazing Fantasy number 15. And then I went through the Amazing Spider-Man comics. And I think I got about 60 issues in and then kind of fell off of it. And I've just kind of read other things here and there. But I would eventually like to get back into that and get to some of the, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s stuff. Because
1: you don't want to get too far into the 90s, let's be real. Like when You want to get a little bit, but once you get to the Clone Saga, you probably, you probably want to sit like half of that
0: out. <laughs> but what's your rec today, Tim? The
1: one that I wanted to recommend, which ties into some of the last thoughts I was saying about the movie, is Spider-Man Blue, um, the miniseries by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. Tim Sale being the selling point. Uh, Jeff Loeb, I don't think has ever written anything good that tim sale or jim lee off, <laughs> but like the tim sale art on this mini which is a retelling of like some of the early like stan lee john ramita era like spider-man stuff like when he's in college it's just such a good like mini series like if i wanted to recommend someone like have a starting point for spider-man just period i would probably tell them to start with this like yeah. story um, like it's it's where you like it's a retelling of when you first meet Mary Jane and you have and meet Harry Osborn. So when I say like the second movie of this franchise should have brought in MJ and Harry while keeping like Flash, uh, Gwen and Peter. Like this mini series is what the second movie should have felt like before you get to the death of Gwen Stacy. And because this is told in flashback you do get to have narration from a Peter who already knows like, that Gwen's going to die. She doesn't die in the miniseries, but it's that very like nostalgic, melancholy like narration over the fun college adventures, um, which in these fun college adventures, at one point, Peter ends up buying a motorcycle <laughs> to impress Gwen. So all those people who say Andrew Garfield, Peter, was way too cool and not nerdy enough, Back in the 60s, he bought a motorcycle. I don't know what you're talking about.
0: <laughs> exactly. Well, Tim, I think that is a great wreck, and I have read that one as well. I think I tried to read all of the ones that those two creators did together. I don't know if I ended up getting through all of them, but Spider-Man Blue, definitely a recommend. And thank you so much for joining me to talk about the amazing Spider-Man 2. I think I have now covered... All of the Spider-Man movies.
1: So far. I mean, they're going to pump out a bunch of them and you're going to have to crank out pretty soon like five Spider-Man movie episodes a year. Let's be real.
0: But <laughs> you're,
1: you're all caught up for now.
0: For now. Yeah.
1: Good times.
0: All right, everyone. That does it for this episode of Welcome to Geekdom. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so through our Patreon. If you want to follow us on socials, you can do so at GeekdomPod on Twitter and at Welcome to Geekdom on Instagram and Facebook. And as always, thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.